Hey, welcome to the Church Planting Podcast. My name is Josh Taransky, and once again, I'm joined in studio by Clint Clifton, and we're going to talk about uh, the underbelly, the under, the dark side of professional Christianity. Can't wait to hear these points. They're even a secret to me. <laughs> professional Clint. Christianity, that's what, uh, a.k.a. becoming a pastor. Yes. Mixing your job and your ministry together. I get it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's let's go through these points. I know you got four. Let's go walk through them slowly. I will um, ask you deep probing questions to um, harvest the wisdom that you have on these. And uh, okay, great. Well, that's point gonna be, one. This is going to be fun. So there's there's something about becoming a pastor or like a professional Christian missionary, church planner, or whatever. Something that you get uh, you get paid. Your vocation is mixed up with or. Actually, the word vocation means calling. So I, let me say it differently. That your job, your career, gets mixed up with your your spiritual vocation, your true calling. Yeah. You know, and so uh, it makes the act the act of like actual Christianity really challenging. So professional Christianity complicates actual Christianity. And from my point of view, I suppose it has something to do with like the public nature of of professional totally. Christianity. Um. I found that for me, when I entered into vocational ministry or professional ministry, um, particularly professional ministry in church planting, it complicated my daily walk with Christ on, in, a, in an unexpected way that I didn't see coming. Um, <clears throat> maybe you've heard somebody say, find something you love to do and make it your job and you'll never work a day in your life. Well, my experience was different than that. When I found something I love to do and I made it my job and made it it changed it for me right. in a way that was not good for my soul, my spiritual life, my walk with God. And uh, so I was 15 when I became a Christian. I started walking with the Lord. Uh, you know, everything about my Christian life was amazing. Like the the change that Jesus made in me, made in my heart was dramatic. It was immediate. So immediate that like my family and my friends and other people around me, my coworkers and schoolmates immediately noticed the difference in my, in my life. And, and it, wasn't just that like you know back then the tapes and my walkman changed <laughs> right <laughs> i mean we i did listen to cassette tapes i'm wow. that old you know but okay. uh it wasn't just that the the, the music i was listening to changed and kind of the people i was hanging out with changed like everything about my life changed you know so yeah. i just became a new creature in christ and i had real change um so anyway there was that that was real to me when i stepped into professional christianity um, so, so anyway, uh, here, here are the, the four things that, that I noticed happening to me when I entered professional Christianity. Mm. Um, and the first one is that I became aware of the critical eye of others when before I hadn't been aware of them. I wish somebody had told me that becoming a public figure, even in a small, on a small scale, becoming a public figure would, um, meant that others would feel free to voice their opinions about me publicly. You know, wow. people would say things about me or to me or to others about me in a way that was also almost disembodied. Like they were talking about my position, not about me as a person. I'd never been in a situation where my personal life and my public identity were like wound up together. Mm. And I wasn't prepared for the amount of critical feedback that I would receive in the first few years of professional Christianity. I think I thought I'm going to go into ministry and these things that people have been affirming in my life about sure. my gifts were just going to become more prominent. 
and actually um, I, as an amateur Christian, I was really good, but as a professional Christian, I wasn't good. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like going from the minor leagues to the big leagues. Maybe I was really good on my minor league ball team, but I get to the big leagues and I'm sitting on the bench. Kind yeah. of thing. That's that's yeah. where I was. That gap, that margin between where I have to like grow into the role. I just I I, I wasn't that good at it yet. And so you're saying that people are critiquing your performance as yeah. on the professional side. Yeah. Perf- yeah. Performance. So b- like before this time, I got up and shared from my heart. You know right. what the Lord was doing. Everybody I shared what that. I knew from the word and it was, and I'm an amateur and they don't expect much from me. Right. Uh, but when I was a professional, all of a sudden my exegesis wasn't good. Mm. And all of a sudden my kind of speaking ability wasn't that good because mm. they're comparing me to other pastors now. Right. And, uh, and there's something about a public person that makes it, you feel free to criticize them or even like a, I mean, I, I think of this, I, not long ago I was in Walmart and, um, I tend to get annoyed with people that are do professional things and don't do them well. You know, I mean, I just, I just do, I was, right. um, yeah, I was in a line at Walmart. I tried to return something. They didn't want to take it back. I had the receipt with me and everything. And I was just frustrated that they didn't know their job. And so I was like getting super hasty with the, per- or like super annoyed with the person and when we left there, my wife was like, that's like so unlike you. Why did you light into that person like that? And the answer was like, they're not doing their job, you know, right. but she was like, well, why do you, that's a person though. Like that's not just the, mm. the Walmart per, uh, you know, the Walmart job. There's a person behind that that you were talking to. And I was like, oh, like that's, I think what happens in ministry. Like you're, you're the pastor or you're a pastor or you're a professional. And, and I just don't think I was aware for the, oh, I was ready for the criticism that would come yeah. from that. Oh man, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's tied in with your identity too. So if you don't have it a is. healthy, that's you don't a have a point, healthy yeah. gap between, um, the professional side and just your identity in Christ. Right. You know, in an earlier episode, we had talked about how church planters, sometimes if they quit, they delete their, their uh, Facebook page. Yeah. And uh, the reason is because what they're doing professionally is so tied to their identity right. that they don't want to exist anymore publicly. <laughs> they don't. That's, they don't. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, this is a huge warning, basically, even just with point one of like, there's one time and I'll just add this anecdotally. So there's one time out of 17 years of ministry up to this point back in 2014 where I thought, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to be a professional Christian anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be paid to be a Christian anymore. I just want to be a normal Christian. I had done it for so long. And, um, so I can relate. It was, it was just this funky, like three week season where I was upset, but, but, Three weeks. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You're doing so good, yeah. man. And then I, and then I, but nobody else would hire me to do anything else. Oh, so, man. you know, <laughs> God revived my heart. Mm-hmm. Okay. Point two. Well, before I go to point two, let me okay. just say that like the shocking disapproval of others blinded me from the ability to see any truth in my brother's rebuke, you know, like mm. what somebody was saying to me. I, I wasn't able to see the, the kernel of truth in that and yet and grow from it because I was so shocked, blindsided by the fact that there's a difference in the way people relate to public figures and, and private figures. Yeah. It, what was so crazy to me is there were some people that would attack me publicly, but then privately, just like if we're hanging out in another context, they'd 
they'd be totally cool. Yeah. <laughs> but wow. in a public setting, they, they could they could kind of be critical of me. Yeah. And it was because in my mind, in their mind, I was two people. I was this position and I was also. And so it's that's a, a, an aspect of professional Christianity. I think it's important for pastors to understand. Mm. Um, uh, one pastor that I respect, he says pr- pastors are professional forgivers. You know, that's part of our like job. It's one of the job descriptions that we have because people will will hurt you a lot. And uh, you have to be able to you have to be mm. able to forgive them. That's good. Second. Yeah. Um, I began to monetize my service to Jesus. Ooh. Yeah. So amateur Christianity has its benefits, right? Um, Before I received pay for serving God, I never once considered how the monetary rewards were tethered to my success. Mm. Um, My motive for teaching the Bible was because I wanted people to grow in Christ. My motive for sharing my faith with others was I wanted people to become Christians. I mean, it was so simple. It was like right. the simple world, right? Uh, um, in professional Christianity, though, my my service to God was inextricably tethered to my paycheck. Mm. And if the church grows, my pay will probably grow. If I preach great sermons, others will pay me to come preach great sermons. Mm. I've never considered myself a lover of money. I, I didn't think I was that. Um. But suddenly when those two things were linked to each other, I found myself considering one when considering the other. Yeah. In a way that made me feel dirty and shameful. Um, and I was wrestling with, uh, at the same time, a budding young family mm-hmm. and the responsibilities of fatherhood and husbandry for the first time. And trying to figure out, like, how do I properly provide for my family and give them the things they want and need and do this. And uh, you know, it was, it was really a tough thing to consider and nobody had walked me through that. I'd never considered myself a lover of money, like I said, but, but now I have a family and a house and bills to consider. This is an added layer of complexity that made my good and bad motives in ministry indistinguishable Wow, from one another. Clint, man, that's good. It's kind of like you got ministry as a one road, you've got money as another, there's this intersection and there's all kinds of accidents that can happen in that all intersection. <laughs> I mean, you could have, That's a great way to put you it. could have greed, you can have like love of money, uh, man, you can have like even a false, um, like you can, I, I've seen guys who, who like intentionally impoverish themselves as a reaction. Yeah. You know, they go the, the wrong direction and their family suffers because they just don't have a right relationship of thinking about money. Oh man, that's like, it is, it is hard. And then, and another aspect of it that's difficult is it, it it can um, taint the way that you deal with people. If you have a sense of like, oh, this person gives a lot of money or this person doesn't give a lot of money. That's a, that's an aspect I didn't think of. There's a lot that happens right there in that intersection. That is, it's again, it's that mental battle that the church planter faces. Man, that is, that's, that's so true. Uh, How, 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 did you see any of that in your transition into professional ministry? Um, well, there's definitely the, uh, so the thing that is the greatest anecdote to that pressure and to avoid the most accidents for us in church planting in Baltimore has been outside support. So the Mm. less, less pressure we feel to have healthy tithes and offerings from internal givers at the Mm -hmm. church, uh, the the healthier we are 
That's um, that's been the most helpful thing because yes. I know, hey, I've got people outside of here, far away that that they don't, they're not monitoring my sermon on the week to ba- week basis. Right. They're not going to go through church discipline with me. They're just going to yeah. keep giving three hundred bucks a month. You yeah. know, that has been huge. Oh, um, cool. uh, I never really thought about it like that. I always push people so quickly to try to get off of the teat, so to speak. You know, yeah. get into a situation where they are their congregation is funding their ministry uh, because that that just creates such a healthier situation inside the church but you're right i think for the for the church planter himself that's a a benefit yeah yeah Yeah, i i think that uh and and internally the more that obviously the giving is spread throughout the congregation it's not just a couple of people that are given the you know 75 percent of the tithe Mm. Um, I think about, um, you know, the things that knock pastors out of ministry, you know, if you talk to any like longtime pastors on this subject of pastors that get, you know, get fall out of professional ministry, Mm -hmm. uh, you, you hear the same three things over and over and it's become like lore among pastors that if you're going to fall out of ministry, it's going to be one of three things that's going to take you out. It's going to be, um, sex. It's going to be money mm-hmm. or it's going to be pride or power. Yeah. And it makes me think of First uh, John for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, um, uh, the sinful pride of life. Those mm-hmm. are those are the things that the enemy just just constantly uses. Yeah. And it's so true in professional ministry, too. I just think we have to be aware of that and the more proximity we can have to professional Christianity before we dive into it and see that and have a conversation and an interaction and a relationship with somebody. That's why pastoral mentorship mm. is so important. I feel like mm. um, we call them residencies and I think it's good to call it that because the, the thing about a medical residency is you don't just get to learn about it in the books, but you get to put your hands inside somebody's body in surgery you get to you know get to sit with them in their distress of learning they have cancer i mean those are real experiences yeah yeah so okay third uh i started desiring platforms never had done that before um it doesn't take long in professional christianity for my vain heart to start using words like platform and influence to describe Mm. what i'm trying to gain uh, there's a strange sort of anti-Christian doctrine that I think floats around in, in professional ministry circles um, and in the church these days that teaches that God's more glorified through ministries of large churches and he's mm. more happy with pastors who reach more people. Um, yet the Bible instructs us to have the mind of Christ in us that consider himself no reputation to take on the form of a servant be made in the likeness of men. So, those two things are at odds with one another. And in professional Christianity, there's a culture of, at least in, in a, I think it's true in virtually every evangelical tribe, there's a culture of more people equals more favor from God. Yeah. Even if we reject it theologically, we accept it culturally. Yeah. And a faux metric. A faux metric, yeah. Yeah. So I, I started desiring those things. You know, everything I do now. I am always asking myself the question, why am I doing this? I have a podcast. Mm -hmm. Josh, we're on a podcast. Why do we do that? We do that because we want to be awesome and we want to be known or, you know, so I might, that might be some of my motivation or do I do that because I want people, I want church planners to be helped. 
Yeah. I want the gospel to go forth. I want church planners not to give up. I want them to have the tools and resources they need. What What are my motivations or what's the percentage of mix in there for totally. why I'm doing what I'm doing? All those things are so complicated. Yeah. And before I got into ministry, before when I was an amateur Christian, it wasn't complicated. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really important stuff. And if that's a, that's a heart. I mean, that flows right out of like just the state of our heart and what we're prizing. Mm-hmm. What is the ambition and man, that's got to be dealt with early on because that um that arena of it, it's it's this just you know, you can if you go down the road where you're getting invited to speak at special occasions and you're on platforms at conferences, you can easily like just leave the path that God wants you to be on and just adopt that as well. I'm, I'm like fruitful, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm successful, right? but it's just a complete faux fake metric. It is. It is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and the last one is that my devotional life was eaten by my teaching ministry. Mm. It was swallowed up. So Sundays yeah. are absolutely relentless. They come every seven days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me about it, man. They come every week. Yeah. You seem like like even school gets a break every now and then, right? Like Sunday comes every week. Yeah. And every single week the 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 pace of public teaching meant i was in the word of god more but i applied it to myself less Mm. which danger zone right i mean pharisee zone yeah um where i'm in the word all the time and you know the problem with spiritual progress is that it so easily converts into spiritual pride you know, so when we you know, become more knowledgeable, uh, you know, the scripture teaches knowledge, just pro- knowledge puffs up, um, you know, I become more spiritually knowledgeable and I become I'm more equipped to to answer people in an accurate theological way. I become less dependent on this and sensitive to the spirit's work in my life. And and I just it becomes a tool in my ministry tool bag. And I stop thinking about it. I stop processing it in a way that's really helpful. So prior to professional Christianity, my devotional life was applied only to me and my sin. And it was applied to my struggles and and it was for my joy. But suddenly when I became professional, the words of the Bible were always for other people. Right. And um, so that is that is something that that's so true. That is so true. It almost seems like at least in my experience. Uh, I have to be 10 times more intentional about my own devotional time mm. to receive for myself than mm. I've had to be any, at any other point in my life mm. because it's, it is, um, yeah, it's so easy to get into that routine of like sermon preparation of, of preaching to others, but then losing track of like your own soul. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really. So here's how I've heard pastors apply this. This this is not a novel idea. Like pastors talk about this all the time, right? About um, not forsaking your personal spiritual disciplines and your personal spiritual life for your teaching ministry. Yeah. But I think I think it's I feel like the way it's corrected is also wrong. So what I mean is, I'll hear pastors say, "Don't mix. Don't read out of the." don't do your devotional time out of the section you're preaching or, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I so for me, there's gotta be a way to interact with the text, not just on an academic level, but on a spiritual level. Right. 
um, but not, uh, you know, not let it become sinful in that in that process. There's got to be a way that I can I can, the text can speak to me. I can experience because I preach better when pra- just practically exactly. speaking, I preach better when I've when I've experienced the text firsthand. When I can say, yeah, the Lord said this to me this week, or the Lord did this in my life through this text this week, or as I meditated on God's word this week. I came to this conclusion yet. Uh, so it's, it's really a, an application issue. I think it's not, it's not an issue mm-hmm. of what I'm reading and what I'm not reading. It's a, it's a, am I applying it just to me? Am I applying it just to the sheep in my church or am I applying it to both? Am I seeing myself as a sheep that needs this word, this food, just like they do? You know? Yeah. 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 It seems like this is an area where you definitely can't just leave it to chance. Yeah you've really got to give some thought to like, Mm -hmm. what does it look like for God to care for my soul? Mm -hmm. Feed me personally as I'm engaged in this other work. And it probably is going to vary from guy to guy. Mm -hmm. I don't like, I I agree. I don't like that hard line of like, don't do your devotions out of the text. Uh, I want to be grabbed by that text. You know, Um, I want it to deal with me first before I ever step into the pulpit. But yeah, if that's the only quiet time I'm having, that's the only text time. I mean, I'll, it'll take me yeah, forever yeah. to get through the Bible, right? <laughs> so it was like, <laughs> I need a lot more Bible that's how your content. People feel at your church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally, man. Well, those are good, man. This is uh, this is another really valid point that I think church planters are going to hear this, um, and it's a it's a really healthy warning. I, I'm sure that they're feeling this some some of these symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably could add to your four and, and if, if you have, and you want to add to the four email us, we'd love to hear, hear some other, um, ways in which Christianity becomes professional and, and kind of can become unhealthy. Um, but Clint, thanks for giving us those four, walking us through them. Excellent stuff. Thanks. Where do church planters come from? Well, they don't come from seminaries and they don't come from a factory. Church planters come from congregations. They're developed by pastors who love them and they're prepared for gospel ministry and sent out. But many churches don't know where to begin and many pastors are overwhelmed with the day-to-day duties of pastoral ministry and don't have time to put together a robust training program for the people in their congregation to be equipped. The North American Mission Board is helping with this. They have developed a thing called the Multiplication Pipeline. And it's a three-level training course that takes place over multiple years for you to uh, have the material and the guidance to get somebody in your congregation ready for church planting. The multiplication uh, pipeline is available on NAM's website. You can find it at nam.net backslash pipeline. Thanks for tuning in to the Church Planting Podcast. We'll be back next week with a new episode.